feels like we haven't done this show in uh, a whole month because the last two episodes were in person. Uh, wow, it's been that long. So let me ask you that. So, so would you, and this is something I'm going to, uh, one way or the other I'm going to talk, but I'm curious about uh, what you're going to have to say. Have you, what, when you said the last week, the time has been weird, has that just been kind of something like uh, like a general statement? Or have you consciously noticed that, like, in the last, you know, seven days or so, that really, like, there's something noticeably different um, than than the days prior to that? Like, have you really, has that been part of your recognition? Well, I feel like I'm leading you on with what I just said, because, no, it is, a, that's a little, that would be a little too much. I just meant, like, and this is a little more mundane, but I just meant, like, the days are longer. It's very hot. It, it got like to 100 degrees last week at one point up here. So, yeah, it's just it, when when it's that hot and you don't have AC, it's just it's like about heat management more than it is about living <laughs> your normal life. So, I do I I have adjusted my schedule a bit uh for that reason and I've even though I don't want to be a night owl anymore, it's like pushing me to be a be a night owl because that's like the the primary time, you know. And it's not way too hot, and there's not a lot of noise on the road. So I was up last night till at least three in the morning, uh, finishing some edits, and I put out two uh, podcasts. I scheduled them, so one will be out tomorrow. I mean, I would definitely encourage you to, you know, follow the path of least resistance if, like, it makes sense for you to do night owl time, mm. you know? Like, if it makes, like, really conscious sense, like, if it's too difficult to do anything during the day because of the heat, well, then that's a no-brainer. 
we shouldn't add not anything else to that load by by thinking that you shouldn't be doing it. Um, but my my uh, last, I mean, I guess really starting last Thursday, it has been so surreal and strange. And it's coming from someone who's always, you know, kind of looks at his life already from a surreal backslash strange perspective. Um, so yes, yes, like, you know, things feel like they're, get, they're, they're getting stranger on, on my end. Hmm. Well, you inspired me when we talked yesterday. Um, or was it the day before? It was definitely the day before. Uh, now I remember. But you inspired me to take a, a micro dose. So I think that also affected my perception of time. But it wasn't, you know, it was a microdose, so I, I didn't have, like, any sort of psychedelic trip. I was just up a little later than I might have been if I didn't enhance. Well, that will certainly uh, certainly add to, to your experience, or at least your perception of that is that's for certain. Hmm. So can I tell you about the deck today? Yeah. Because we're coming right in, uh, we're coming into this conversation. So, um, and I know you like you. Uh, we, we what we share. One of the things which we share in common is, is we enjoy using the natural world as a feedback to, to our experiential reality. So, like when you see something in, in nature, and you're like, "Oh, that's meaningful. It's communicating to me." Right? That's what I mean by feedback. So we both like to do that. I think, you know, at the moment, it's like strange disconnect. And so that's kind of like this this, this weirdness. But then at the same time, there are these other, um, uh, these other um, kind of like feedback loops from the natural world, which, which, which are seemingly pointing to something else. Let me go and tell you the things which I've talked about. It's really like, it kind of like sets the stage. Um, I'm sitting on the porch on the main countryside. Do you remember the porch? Of course. Yeah, it's a beautiful porch. And you're sitting across from a couple of trees, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, how close are they? They're the ones that are directly there, the little trees that I was hitting the bugs off of. They're, like, right there. Those well, how trees. Little are, how little are they? Ah, they're, like, 20 feet tall, 15. Oh, yeah, like 30 to 40 feet. Uh, yeah, probably because we're like twenty feet up tall, and then they go up another like ten feet from where we are. So it's a little bit misleading. Like they are, they are young trees. They're not necessarily um, uh, mature, but the proximity of the tree to sitting on that uh, sitting on that porch is kind of unique because one, you're very close to it. Like you know, you could, as you indicated, you could reach out from the deck and you could touch the tree. But the part of the tree which you're touching, which you're so close to is 20 or 30 feet off the ground and something which normally you would not be that close to. So it's kind mm. of special. It's like a special relationship that you have with, with the tree because like that's not an everyday sort of interaction. If you're outside in the natural world and you're around the tree, you are probably like from like eight, seven feet and lower, like from seven feet down to the ground. Like that's what you really get to be up close to. So that being said, like, you know, I don't know if you noticed this when you were there, there, there are a bunch of hummingbirds that come around. Did you see the hummingbirds? Yeah, we saw one 
I forget which tree it is, but the one with the orange flowers. There's hummingbirds all right. going to that. They love that. So it woke up. I uh, I began the day by being buzzed by a hummingbird. <laughs> like it flew. Like I've never seen a hummingbird. At, you know, the limited amount of time I've been here. Uh, but but also from my entire life experiences with birds, like I've never had like a hummingbird like fly underneath a. Uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's an open porch, but it's covered, flying underneath, and it had to have been, it, it was, it, it felt like it was, I was, something was blowing on my neck, like it was that close, like you could feel it on your skin and move your hair. So that was like the, 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 the first, the first thing, which, which I'm like, okay, like that's special. That's a, like, and that's a really like, uh, like, uh, a personal sort of interaction, like, a, uh, and a gentle one with the natural world. Right. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Like you know, just the nature of what a hummingbird is. Yeah, absolutely. And so then I, I, I look up and I see there's a moth and I don't know how often, you see moths during the day. I guess you do. You don't see. I guess they're more obvious at night. But it's, uh, this was this was earlier today. Um, so I see there's a moth and there's there's a spider web, like a fully formed spider web, like a really like uh, uh, symmetrical and like an attractive looking well formed spider web in the corner, uh, probably just made in the in the porch, the same place where I was just buzzed by the hummingbird and. I see a moth, like easily um, an inch, two inches, two inches from like extended wingtip to extended wingtip, like about that size of a moth, and it's stuck in a spider web. Never have I seen like anything like that stuck in a spider web, and I'm watching this thing. I'm like, ooh, this is unusual, and it's like trying to violently set itself free, and I'm watching this drama unfold, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like. Is it my job to prove the spider to prove them all? Is it my job just you know, I'm going through that. I'm just kinda of like watching it and just like enjoying it, like I'm step up. And then the and then the moth frees itself and like flies away. So I'm like, okay, like you know, there's something about that, like uh those those symbols. Like to me, like if I wanted to tell a story out of that, um the 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 hummingbird is very much about a soft touch. Like you know, and stillness, and and like almost like a like a uh, being very receptive because a hummingbird coming that close to a human being is a, is an uncommon sort of experience unless you're able to hold a certain sort of um, frequency or feel that you know the, the birds can feel comfortable coming that close to you. I mean, that's just you know common sense. And so that happening, and then seeing this moth being able to like get caught. Then escape. I was like, all right, okay, this is gonna be this is this is gonna be fun. I don't know what exactly that's pointing to, but like that's kind of setting the stage. So fast forward, I, uh, a bunch of things happen to the day, but this is but this is what I wanted to go. This is the real exciting story I want to tell you about. So I am um I I was taking a walk uh today to um around the Amish farms, the ones, the walk which we have, we took together, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's hot out, like you, like you said, like, you know, this is, this has been the hottest it's been all summer. Uh, it's not so, it's not as bad today as it was yesterday, but it's definitely like hot and humid. 
and it's a, this is maybe about three o'clock in the afternoon. And um, I wanted to go. I don't know if, you, if we went all the way to the top of the hill where um, Salem Road is. Did we get to Salem Road? Was that a part of the little track we took when it got dark and uh, we came? No, it wasn't. Salem Road, if we would come to the end of Bridal Path, like we like to watch the, the sky. Mm-hmm. And if you would have turned left. Okay. And gone up to the top of that hill in Salem Road. I think and, we, went, we only went there by car because at night we... We walked by the houses that are on that road and right, turned right. back. So we so I didn't take you up there. It's probably like, you know, it's, it's not that far of a walk, but it's from the top of the hill there and just convergence and you know, where all of these different parts of the farmers farm it. So I wanted to go up there. And I wanted to go up there because um I uh, uh I recently finished uh the book two of the book series which I'm reading to my sons. Uh, the Wheel of Time is the book three, so it's finished book two, which is called The Good Punch. And then before going into book three, I wanted to add in, um, I never know how to add the guy's name, but you know, like the, the, the famous book, The Alchemist, by like Paulo, you know, the day, so I want to read that to the boys, because when I read these books to, to them, it gives us a touch point in terms of just ideas I want to introduce to them about, you know, how to prepare themselves for the journey of life. And so the alchemist felt like this was a really good um, time to introduce them to this larger fantasy storyline. And in the beginning of the alchemist, I don't know if you remember, even if you read the alchemist, um, but it, there's this character, there's a character who sets the tone of, its, of the main character's journey. And he was the king of um, Salem, S-A-L-E-M, king of Salem. Hmm. He was a character with a genesis. Right. Which has a lot of this kind of like, you know, like, uh, biblical play in, in the narrative. Hmm. And so I'm like, okay, I'm right at the top of, of, of the, of, of, um, right at the top of the road is the Salem Road. And I'm also aware of, like, kind of the double entendre of, like, you know, Salem's Lot. Like, that's a really, and um, Salem Witch Trials. Like, Salem is a highly, highly charged um, um, uh, room, you know, power sound in our collective consciousness. And so, like, I like playing with that. So, and then particularly, like, uh, we talked about this before, like, just the, the Amish culture has a very kind of, like, you know, uh of which trial sort of perspective. And so 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 I'm walking up there with all this sort of stuff and I want to go there. And and I'm coming out of this like really unusual week and I'm starting this this uh this day with these interesting kind of like feedback loops from the natural world and I, I get up to the top of the where Salem Road intersects with Barfield Road. And I see there are two young boys. They're, they're out in the field, and they're harvesting. They're harvesting tobacco. Like you know, they're cutting down. Um, it's interesting to watch that. So they're probably like fourteen years old. And I definitely strike an un, an uncommon slash unusual uh, figure just walking on 
roads. I'm walking down the road, and um, there's a certain outfit I have on. And it's just like, you know, the place I wear. And it is not exactly the same, but it's kind of similar to how, how it's the Amish dress. So there's a certain hat, which is very common, which is a straw hat, a woven hat, and there's a, a band around it. And I've got a hat, which isn't exactly like that, but it's, it's a, a woven hat, and it, 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 it looks a whole lot more like that hat than, than like a baseball hat or a pocket hat. Like it, it's kind of similar to that. And they all were, all the men were a very similar type of shirt. It's a button-down shirt, and in summer it was short sleeves, and um, it's a collared shirt, and uh, they, they usually it was probably quite common collar shirt. And I'm wearing a button-down shirt. I long sleeve, but I wear it sleeves over my elbows. It's kind of like a short sleeve shirt, and it, you know, there's a collar to it. I kind of wear it like that. So in a certain way, I'm, I'm dressed in a similar way. And I reach to the top of this hill, the southern hill, and I'm sitting there. And I, I go and I, 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 I squat. There's like a, a way to, uh, to sit. You know, you see uh, where, where your feet are flat on the ground, but the, the knees are bent as much as they can. So that's the position. I'm, sit, I'm squatting in. Uh, your butt's like maybe an inch or two from the ground. And I'm just sitting at this intersection. And I know these boys are watching, but they're like, what the? But they're all, like, all the people around here, and we talked about this before, like, they're, they're aware that there's, there's something new in town. It's a small town, and it changes very often. So I know that there's an eyeball on me, and, and I'm walking down, and I'm kind of, uh, you know, as I said, I had an unusual, an unusual silhouette. And I've got my, one of my walking sticks. I've got the colorful walking and there and I squat I'm sitting there I'm just watching everything and in my mind I'm like alright sing a salam uh, if you're going to come this is where you're going to come and I'm going to meet you and that's what's going on in my mind I'm thinking about the outfit I'm like having this sort of like team walk experience and then one of those honest stories walk the fuck it's the main thing you know why he spoke to me in German because he thought you were Amish? Because he thought I was Amish. <laughs> Do you think maybe you think maybe they think you're like a Rumspringa exile who decided to come home like 20 years later and now you just like they don't recognize you or something? I have no idea. I absolutely no <laughs> idea. It was, so that's always been like like that's a, that's always been one of the games I've always played with myself. And if I travel someplace where I'm not a local, um, I know if someone asks me for directions, it's because I I have a I blended it so perfectly with my environment that someone thinks I'm a local and I know how to get around. It's not ask for directions anymore because it's just yeah. Um, so so that game is long gone, but. The idea of being able to melt into your surroundings, and then particularly like that, like that to me was um, was an indication of <laughs> some sort of shit happened, <laughs> some sort of time travel, some sort of uh, un- unexplainable connection on uh, was witnessed right there. That was that's the way which I'm looking at. Yeah. Huh. 
Yeah, that is, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. You do blend in with your, your style and how you dress typically, uh, even before you lived there. Uh, so, you know, you, there's a, that's a style. It's, you know, you don't, you're not the type to have like logos or like cheap, like designs on your clothing. Like all your clothing is very like, I don't want to call it standard, but it's like, uh, what you clothes classical. Used What's that? Classical. Yeah, exactly. It's like what clothes used to look like. That's what I was going to say. So yeah, you, you definitely have that culture about you. Hybrid, that's another word. Yeah, so, mm. so it blends in, but it, 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 it should be very evident to the eye that it's not that same sort of, that same sort of thing. But there was something about, there was something that just occurred, like, in that experience where that young man was like, oh, I, he, he, I can speak German to him because he's one of us. No. Instead of it's sort of German and Pennsylvania Dutch, is what they speak. Right. And did you respond in Pennsylvania Dutch, or did you just, how did you take I it? So, I'm in my squat position, right? And I looked over, and I looked, you know, it's probably like 20 feet away, he's on the other side of the street from me, and he's harvesting the gas. And uh, I just, I just lifted my hand, like, to raise my hand. You saw, like, all the ways, like, you saw how, like, the ways, what the ways look like? Yeah. So I gave, I, I gave him the way. And what? I don't know after that. I think he, he realized. <laughs> I have no idea what he was talking about. Hmm. Maybe he thought you wanted to buy some tobacco. <laughs> well, it, it, it was it was fresh. Right? I mean, maybe. Uh, like right now, you can see in all of the, the barns that are drying leaves. Yeah, that's what I noticed the first time I drove down there. Um, but yeah, it was a little soon in the season for that when we were there in July, but yeah. Okay, so how long did you spend at the, the hill uh, on Salem Road? Ten minutes. Hmm. Then I came back and I texted you and I said, how about in 20 minutes? All right. I had no idea what I was going to talk to you. So, like, I knew that you and I were talking about talking. Uh, we have been talking about talking. So we've been talking about the conversation with the recording right now. Uh, at least since Sunday, today is Wednesday, mm. um, and it having to, you know, and, and the point of the conversation, like, no, I really planning this is because I was coming, I'm coming out of this, this microfest, and there had been a lot to process, you know, for me personally, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, it, uh, where am I right now? And... Because I was not necessarily at that position, the timing was not right. Like, I don't know when the timing will be right. I just know when the timing is wrong. And so like, that's kind of like, I'm like, not, you know, I've been kind of doing that, like, two steps forward, one step back. Like, okay, Mark, how about today? And I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling it. But um, there was something that happened with that exchange that the moment I came back, I was like, okay, now's the time. Hmm. Well, we did speak on the phone on Monday, if my memory serves me correct. I guess I wasn't exaggerating. Time has been 
little weird when you said that about Sunday. I'm like, oh, shoot, we did talk Sunday, huh? But, uh, but yeah, a lot, has, a lot has transpired since. I thought it was interesting that at the same time you were at MycoFest, Tara and I uh, went to my my grandmother's house and my mom and my sister were there and they're like, oh, we're going to go to this, you know, carnival and, you know, this place. And Tara and I had driven by a place in uh, a few towns over, a town called North Branford. And there was this thing going on this past weekend called the Corn and Potato Festival. So while you were at a mushroom festival, Tara and I went to this corn and potato festival. Hmm. And the, the only potatoes that we saw were french fries, so I don't know where all the corn and potatoes were. Um, but, yeah, it was... What was going on with the corn potato? Well, we wanted to go on the Ferris wheel, but unfortunately we got halfway into the line and they said, oh, the Ferris wheel's being shut down uh, until the fireworks show is over. And it was already pretty late by then, so we just headed out of there. But, yeah, you know, just wanted to go and check it out and do something different. Um, and were, there, were there real carnies there? It was, like, it was like New York City Puerto Rican carnies, like, or Mexican carnies. Like, they weren't really, like, carny carnies. It looked like a lot of, like, Hispanic people working the, um, working the various counters and stuff and then you had like the local people with their uh various like um tents and whatnot selling different things but no the carny like this it's it's weird these carnivals have like a sort of like a franchise thing going on so i'm sure what do you mean a franchise so like now what they do with these like summer fair like festival fairs and stuff is they'll have like a franchise that it's like the same company, so you can go to multiple different fairs in the same state and use like the same tickets and credits and all that, because all the rides are operated using this same company's like ticket crediting system. You know, like you got to go and buy like forty credits, and then you're able to go and and play all the games and go on whatever rides and. You still got to pay like ten dollars uh, over for overpriced food uh, with cash and card, but yeah, I noticed that. So it felt a lot different from the fairs and festivals I went to as a kid, where there were actual carnies and it was like a a troop of people that traveled from state to state. It almost felt like a like a on the spot hiring type gig situation for the people that were there, and then there was like people that kind of looked like they traveled with the equipment and stuff but yeah it was it was not it was not what so, i used to from that scene so the people who travel with the equipment they have to be carnies right but like i said they all were and no not that this makes a difference but they they were all mexican so i'm like that's new for so, me so, so <laughs> I mean, they're mexican carnies but like like a carny is like more so like a lifestyle it's not an ethnicity well, I get uh, that, but I'm used right, to right. like I'm used to like a certain culture that went with totally, totally. Like, like I, I got you. you know, you know. But do you think that that they had a different costume, but was their lifestyle the same? Like I hear what you're saying. Like, well, they were they dressed up like the, they were at some kind of like you know they all had the same matching blue polo on, so they definitely uh, weren't like. Companies. Are you serious? Yeah. So it's like 
corporate carny. Yeah, it's like that's exactly what it was. It's like corporate carny and like people who are you know just immigrating into the country and and that's a, the best job they can get. You know, like I'm a, I'm imagining um, I'm imagining like the word carny like spelled out with like the small T M for trademark like that is a Y. You know? Yeah, and like a guy with face paint like does your paperwork and like oh here's HR and it's like a guy on like stilts and like. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like the uh, like the car- <laughs> HR department in Carney World. That is friggin' family is the be. Oh. Um, so so that so that's kind of like exactly what I'm talking about. So we had that. So let's go use like our our these as our touch points of what you as an individual and me as an individual like kind of works with. Like, we, we, we kind of worked with uh, the, the festival I, I was at was not a festival like that. Like, it didn't have, like, uh, like it's, it's more like a pop-up city, like that sort of thing. Um, and people are camping there, they're on rides, like, like that. And so there's there's a similar, we're using the same word, but, but the experience is a little bit different. Mm. And they, like, I think the fair, fair would be the more fair, fair is a better word. For and and the car. Exactly, and the fair is where you're going to find a car, without a doubt. But the point I'm trying to make is, and and I would say that the archetypical energy that fuels the modern festival world has, at some point, a a load, like a very strong motive point, with what eventually became what we think of as carny culture. Mm. Like it has a nomadic feel like the building up and building down and like you know that whole sort of like there's a similarity there so there's there's definitely like you know these these two um structures like experiential structures the one that i had and the one that you had which are you know seemingly connected to the idea of food and that the or some sort of like edible or uh, uh natural world sort of thing whether that be mushroom or corn and potato but what happened was, like, you're describing yours. I, I was, you were, you were joking about yours being this kind of, like, you know, carny tra- uh, trademark, you know, bad experience. Mm. And then I wouldn't quite say what I, mine definitely had, like, a bit of a mainstream element. It definitely had, like, a, a structured element, but not, like, there were no blue polos sort of things. And it was probably even more organic than I know we've talked about like the uh, cannabis festivals that we've been to. It's felt like that this felt more organic than some of those that I went to. So all that being said, this is all of that was just to set up like the understanding that we talked about just like ten minutes ago, which was that misunderstanding of communication. Mm. Like where you use the phrase uh, uh, like in a minute or a moment ago or something like that and I was not certain what what you meant by a moment ago. Like I could have interpreted it this way or that way, and both ways made sense, but they meant something very, very different. Yeah, just a moment was what I said, and yeah. And so that is that is really what what I've been experiencing, like bumping up to what feels like different realities, which are like happening simultaneously, and there's this 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 bizarre. And when I'm saying bizarre, bizarre is the right word because the word bizarre is the original nomad, you know, like traveling city sort of idea that are called bizarre. Um, 
and in this way, this unexplainable way, which which is kind of like funny, whether it was like me and you having that miscommunication, which is, it's, I, we got to include that in this episode because like, that was a 100% authentic miscommunication. You could go and listen to like like if someone were to uh, go back and listen to it, and they coupled that with like, the idea of me being mi- the miscommunication from, from the, the Amish boy who thought that, oh yeah, he's going to understand Pennsylvania without when I talk to him. Like all of this sort of like, like seeing these, what I'm seeing, what I've been experiencing is all of these demarcations, these like boundaries between these different sort of quote unquote words where they're bumping up against each other. And that's what I mean by the surrealness. Like, uh, mm. unlike ever before, I'm, I'm seeing that time and time again. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's definitely a parallel. <laughs> it's like macrocosm, microcosm happening in your life and then happening on this podcast. But with the the fair and the festival, there's a certain, like... There was there was that same miscommunication there with the corn and potato fest, like where where we we're like, okay, well we're we're gonna go on the Ferris wheel, that's our goal, and then you know we're waiting in line, and I'm like, you know, everyone there is like between the ages of fifteen and and twenty one for the most part, and then there's like people who look like they have kids, and then it's just me and Tara, so we're like we're like you know sticking out like sore thumbs waiting in this line and then they're like all right ferris wheel closed and and now all these loud fireworks are going off and you know i like fireworks from a distance i don't really particularly care for them when they're going off directly over my head so yeah we we got out of there and uh yeah it was definitely you know it's a little weird because now i have like twenty dollar credits for uh this fair that I'm never going to go to, you know, like, uh, that was, uh, but then at the same time, when we pulled in, there was like $20 for parking and me and Tara were like, Oh shoot, we don't have cash for that. And I, I go up to the guy who takes the money for parking and he's like, Oh, don't worry about it. Just go in there and have a good time. So it was like that juxtaposition too of like, Oh, we just saved 20 bucks. And then immediately took that savings and I gave it right back to the carnival for for no for no and we didn't really we didn't go on any rides but, yeah and there was the miscommunication the fact that they were like tomato or corn as well well yeah I got a bucket of French fries but yeah no no corn no potatoes I thought it was gonna be like oh this guy's got the biggest potato you know and like oh check it out here are huge ears of corn and like stuff like that but nope just very commercial and corporate sort of feeling but the whole concept of the fair I mean that's a medieval idea that goes and has a bunch of geomancy concepts that are at play the book that inspired uh, a lot of what Tara and I have been looking into, Magic in the Landscape, Earth Mysteries and Geomancies, one of one of many books we've been looking over over the past year, has a whole chapter on fairgrounds and how they evolved from medieval times into the festival scene that we have today. Can you tell me if I go with you after that? 
Well, one thing that was interesting is that there's um, a place that they mentioned that shares the same last name as my grandparents on my mother's side. So my maternal name, um, Bollier, but huh. yeah, it says... Yeah, give me some examples of what you mean, like, you know, like, uh, the geomancy with the fairgrounds and how that... They would lay the, the fairgrounds out into a grid, and they would be aligned to the various whatever day of the year it was, as they were... It was called keeping the days. So they would have a fair for what we now think of as, like, pagan moon holidays or you know, various days of the, the year that are now holidays that were then considered, you know, worship days to different deities or pagan ideas. Um, but it says here, a parallel with commercial sports events, outdoor music festivals began in the 1950s uh, with jazz being played at stately homes, places like Bollier, which is, that's what I was saying in my last name, uh, later, the folk festivals at Sidmouth and Cambridge followed the lead of jazz lovers, then pop, and then later rock festivals that modeled themselves initially on the festivals at Monterey and Woodstock. These were all commercial festivals that charged admissions and provided, in theory, facilities for visitors. These jazz and folk festivals had neither geomantic layout nor mystical dimension, but the influence of the Earth Mysteries movement on what became known as the Free Festivals was apparent. Free festivals which grew from the rock and pop music worlds were not fairs in the traditional sense, but they took them they took from them many of their carnivalesque elements. They emerged as a countercultural response to the commercial festivals such as Isle of Wight. At, in 1970, where Jimi Hendrix played God Save the Queen. These were seen in the parlance of the time as a rip-off, festivals staged by profiteers for their own gain and not for the common good. As they emerged, free festivals were an attempt to stage events with no admission charge, run on a non-profit basis, etc., uh, etc. Et but it says later on... Uh, the festival at Glastonbury, now a highly profitable commercial venture, began in 1971 as a free festival located, it was claimed, on ley lines that intersected at a place where a stage in the form of a pyramid was duly erected to tap the energies. The mystical dimensions of this festival was overt, for it drew on a number of esoteric currents. The ancient Celtic Christian mystique of Glastonbury the landscape zodiac that the early 20th century British artist and sculptor Catherine Maltwood described as Watkinsinian lays and their modern guise as lines of subtle energy. So that was, I don't understand. Okay, I don't understand that last thing you said. What? How the the, the line with like the the zodiac and the landscape? Um, what are they? What are they describing? Are there actual zodiacs like built like these artists built into the landscape of where they did the mm. festival? Is that what they're saying? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked because I have another book called The Glastonbury Zodiac Key to the Mysteries of Britain by Mary Kane. And that's not the same author they were referring to there. They were talking about an artist who's inspired by this. Oh, here she is, Catherine Maltwood. Yeah, no, never mind. So 
each okay so each zodiac sign believe it or not has a corresponding mound site in this one particular place in Glastonbury England okay so I think it's in England I hope it's in England people will get really mad at me if yeah. it's not <laughs> but in Glastonbury they have all like I said all 12 zodiac signs so, so I'm assuming, okay, so they're, let's say they're 12 mounds, and we're not, are they near each other? Well, they're all shaped in a way that points to which sign they are, and they are all... So, okay, so, okay, so, okay, so, yeah. uh, you, you can't go that fast, you have to stop. Oh. That, so, these are, they're all shaped, uh, to say that line, you said again, they're all shaped... Let, right. let me give it to you in reverse, so they, to answer your question... They're all in Glastonbury, so I'm assuming that that would mean they're all close to each other. Um, well, Gla- Glastonbury is at a like in the grandest sense that could be a city, correct? Yeah, I think it's so. We can, so what? So so they could theoretically be 20 miles apart and still in Glastonbury. Like assuming Glastonbury could mean like 20 miles apart. Mm. Like are they? So like, and I know you might not know, but this like I'm taking this as literally as you said. Do you mean the mounds like have scrolled on them like constant like signs that 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 mean or sigils symbols that corresponded to the to a constellation or a sign, or are they somehow in alignment with the sky? Like that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like how is that correspondence? Okay, I think both because they're they're shaped in ways that denote which sign they are. So Sagittarius sure. is shaped like the constellation Sagittarius. Like the, the constellation or the symbol? No, so that the constellation is the thing, though, because that's like a subjective, right? People subjectively say that there is the these points in the sky, and then they'll draw maybe a line... Right. So then, so so it's somewhere in between a very stylized version of that or a very rudimentary version. Are you looking at a picture? Are you just going by what you what you're assuming? I'm looking at I'm looking at bird's eye from a plane photos of mounds with drawings. Ah, okay. Ah, now I see. So you're looking at something and describing what you're saying. Like, okay, I can kind of see. And is it like it's showing all of those mounds? Like, you know, like not just mounds. The streets, the streets themselves in this town. Streets themselves. And it is a town. Uh, I just looked it up. It's a town in civil parish in Somerset, England. Uh, But okay, so the town itself. Has so it's not the co- so it's not the constellations. It's a reflection of the ecliptic. And okay, so this is I, I'm just finding this interesting. Like you know, what the model well, think is. About, think about think about this connecting to what we how we got here with this idea of like building a putting a festival in a specific place. So Glastonbury, the, they had this big free festival there that was very occult, overtly occult, as this author Nigel Pennock describes in his book. Um, and then we use this other book to go a little further, um, the book that's specifically about the Glastonbury Zodiac. <laughs> that book, when I found that, I was very amazed to see this cluster of 
what looked like weathered mounds. So they would have maybe been larger in the past, but now their shape and the contours are remembered when you look at the streets. So it's not like somebody planned the streets and said like, okay, well, we need to make this street like this because we're trying to make it look like the constellation Pisces. And over here, we're going to do Cancer. So we got to shape it like this. It's not like that. It's the so ready to get, ready to get. mound, the earth mounds that used to be there before the roads themselves were there. Okay, so we're talking about thousands of years old, possibly. However, however that whatever that would be, right? Whatever that timeline would be. So as the town of Glastonbury was modernizing, these earth mounds had been weathered to some degree at this point. Fast forwarding from when they were originally built. So let's say but 200, right, let's say two, three hundred years ago, the roads are starting to be created, and it's a lot easier instead of going over the mound or cutting through the mound to just go around it. So they essentially created outlines of what used to be ancient mounds. So in the streets themselves, you can look and say, okay, this street here and this street here and this street here are outlining this contour in the earth, you know, the elevation uh, from what used to be a mound. Again, you got to consider that they've been weathered over time, so they're not going to, the mounds themselves aren't going to look the same shape that they used to. But you can, using this sort of pattern recognition, start to connect some dots the same way we do when we look up at the stars and say, okay, that's shaped like a mold, or that one's shaped like a crab. And so, so is the culmination of all of those weathered mounds that looks, that's what they're talking about when they say the zodiac? Right, because there's a mound for each symbol of the zodiac. Are there, are there, so, and then are there mounds that are outside of the zodiac or? Yes, there's a, okay. There's a dog that is maybe serious. Right. And then there's uh, one or two others that are just sort of like circular shaped ones, just sort of. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so that's. I mean, you know, the, the, the implication to me when you describe that is the linking of the of the concept of the zodiac over that the 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 ley lines, the the nodal point, which is underneath the town or the, or the place of the festival. Hmm. And so recognizing that there's a difference between the zodiac and the ecliptic. So the ecliptic's a real thing, but as soon as you, you divide it up in a certain way, like in 12 different ways, and then by looking at the stars and the way it's divided up, you know, saying like, you know, this one is the ram and this one is the, 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 the fishes. And, you know, you're beginning to add uh, a specific narrative to something which, you know, could have a completely different narrative or no narrative at all, but it's truly exists. Like the ecliptic truly exists. And does that make sense to you? Yeah, there's like a subjective layer and an objective layer. Right. And, and but, but I'm talking even more so, but like this is what the purpose is. Like even just telling the story, like it, it ties in like the idea of the astrological archetypes. Like it ties it in um, into the earth, uh, and I would say that would be the consciousness also. Like everything that lives upon the earth 
of like it's a really really deep way of making an anchor is what they're doing for anchoring Babylonian um, astrology at that level. Hmm. So and so there's a reason why I'm pointing this out because I'm going to say something else, but I'm just like I'm I'm saying like that's what I, that's what I hear or like that's the the way I'm framing that up based upon what you're telling me. I just want you to to follow my logic. Okay. And I want to make certain that my logic is correct. And when I say, like, this is what it sounds like, like, it's okay, yeah, but, but I get to what you're saying. So, when we were at, when we were at the Mushroom Festival, all right, and so the Mushroom Festival was, it's, it's the 10th annual one, and uh, it is, it's, in years past, all of the presenters have all been scientific, like, they've all been scientific presenters. Like, you know, they're starting to branch out a little bit more uh, in terms of what mushroom, you know, implies, but it's the widest, the widest stretch of, you know, uh, like physiological, um, psychedelic, um, all the different sort of benefits of, um, you know, things with all things mushroom. So, um, I, w- I was there and I presented as was Ross Ben and Ross Ben, uh, did a presentation where he, you know, you're familiar with his work. He's talked a lot about ley line manipulation and geomancy in, at Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and what he would describe it as is just decoding urban geomancy. Now, that's kind of his bread and butter. He's done it in Richmond, the city of Richmond. He's done it in Washington, D.C. when he went out to Pittsburgh. He did that. He's done it in a lot of places. Kind of similar, like, in a similar approach as um, Peter Shampoo, and he does his, his like harmonic uh, sacred geometry overlays on the landscape. Like, Peter is able to do that on various scales. And so Ross was doing, was, was taking that approach and applying it to Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania. Like, he's like, okay, I'm going to present, and like, you know, let me go see what I can find. And he starts. He starts with um, his research shows that there's this one key location in the city of Philadelphia where all of these, uh, where it's a noted point for all of these like um, uh, ley lines that go around and influence um, that influence you know, the entire the entire earth, and one of those ley lines being like the Stonehenge. Uh, 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 what, it, what is it, Tiatakin ley line, the one that goes from England and then through, through uh, down the 95 corridor. Like, yeah, the so Acadian ley line. Yes, yes, so that one, but the other ones that are coming off it, so he started play, playing those, and um, what he found from, if you could imagine like that that location, it's underneath a statue, I think it's Commodore Perry statue in, in Philadelphia, like that is the location where all these ley lines go about. So from that, he followed those lines out. He followed one of those lines that went directly to Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay? And then he went and he continued like with his exploration. And it made this perfect, um, not like perfect, but a clear five-pointed star where the lower right-hand leg is at this Commodore Perry um uh, this Commodore Perry nodal uh, uh, point, which includes, what did you call it, the Acadia? Acadia, the Stonehenge, Tiatak, and there's a lot of names for this, mm. the same thing which we're, we're talking about. But from this, this 
capital of the Keystone State. Uh, it went through Ephrata, which is like in Lancaster, all these different things. But it also went through like Stone, like what's called Pennsylvania Stonehenge. So there was that correspondence. But at the center, at the center of it all. So if you can think of what a pentagram looks like, like you know, it's a five-pointed star, and then within that five-pointed star, you're going to see a pentagon, a five-sided um, shape. And that pentagon's point is pointing upside down or opposite of like the the, the upward pointing uh, point of the five pointed star. Like that's just what the setup looks like. It is that the that that location, which is where um, the mushroom festival takes place. So going along with what 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 you described to us about this history, like what this book was talking about, like you know festivals corresponding to an ancient practice of recognizing of how uh, human beings gathering uh, in, in fair or pop-up city-type environments and key locations at key times, understanding what they're doing, has a much larger influence upon, uh, you know, the, uh, maybe just from the, the integration between uh, human beings and, and what we think of as like the, the earthly realm, that happens also, you know, completely un- unbeknownst to the planners of this event, that was happening, um, that was happening where we were. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, in what way? That was happening where you were, you mean at Michael's so, so- so, so that's what, well, one is Microfest. Right. Microfest. As, present, as Ross's presentation was taking place, it was like all well, coming well, together synchronistically, you mean? Well, the fact that it took place there is self-evident, right? Like that it exists. Like it's not like a Wikipedia page entry. Like that's an abstract concept. Like it actually happened. Like the little was best that it really took place right here. And then, like, that was going to happen no matter what. The planners picked that location for whatever reason they picked that location, right? Like, that really happened. Mm-hmm. And then Ross went at that location, and he was like, hey, you know, this is all happening, but let me go show you what's happening, like, how this connects. And basically what he was describing, he was describing the structure. He was like, this is a key where we are right now having this. Like right now, all of us like together, like-minded folks having like, like at this strange time in life, and I'm not even getting into like what's happening in life, but we are really here doing this thing. And the thing which is seemingly happening completely, um, uh, uh, maybe not arbitrarily, but, but based upon a completely different set of, of, of credentials. Like the logic for why we're here is because of like, you know, it fit the budget, you know, there's a, it was centrally located, and it, like, fit this, like, you know, there's a reason why it was there. But then beneath that, it happened to be at, arguably, the most sensitive spot on this five-pointed star, this key sort of, like, archetypical shape, which we understand in, in this realm of having, like, uh, vibratory frequency sort of significance, like the way that all geometries can. And it corresponds directly to like this really, really key part of a city. And the very guy, 
the very individual, the very mind and voice that introduced that idea to the world. Because that's what he did. Like a lot of people all over the world have heard Roz's story. And and that has happened. Like he is then he is revealing, he's giving a, a complete feedback to the audience who are witnessing this. Like, hey, you know, hey, this is what's happening right now. You have no idea, but this is it. But what I'm saying, what was not included, like I was like I found that fascinating. Uh like beyond fascinating. I found that so um, confirming of the nature of our reality, the type of like work which you and I and Ross and all the people who are listening to the show for interested in it. It is a process of of an investigative to know what's going on. So that was in real time investigative awareness that all the people who are at the festival. Um, during the festival, I've been told, like, look at where you are on the back point. What was not known, what you just shared to me, that everyone's listening uh, right now, is like, yeah, this is the practice that has always been. You know, this is, we're calling it the Middle Ages. Like, I just think that's a historical marker, but I can say certainly, this is, a, this is a science, this is a known knowledge, which has existed as well before, before you know way before what realized and then you know that's what happened and it occurred regardless of any sort of um, knowing foresight of planner and then that ties into my personal sort of like foreshadowing which has been like oh yeah it's been really weird ever since I went to that like that event like everything gets raised now well that's what I'm pointing out and let me ask you this real quick. Did you adjust your mic? Because you're starting to sound different. Um, How about now? Now you sound better. So the place that you went to, is it correct that it's known as Stonehenge Gardens? Mm, no. It's, so, so this is where it gets really interesting. There is a place in Pennsylvania called Stonehenge Gardens. And on that five-pointed star, which which Ross revealed, one of the points is Pennsylvania Stonehenge Gardens. But the place we were, I believe, was called Stonehenge. Like H-I-N-G-E. What part was it? Was it like a separate? Because I looked up Michael Fest's website and... When, I, when it says get your ticket now, it says the event location is in this place in Tamaqua, Pennsylvania, and it takes me to a spot that's called Stonehenge Gardens on the, at least as Google Earth is describing it. So I I may have my hinge and henge confused because one is Stonehenge and the other is Stonehenge, but they're two different places. And one of them is where the microfest took place, which is at the key center point of the pentagram, and the other is located at the tip, at one of the points of the pentagram. Okay. So were you in South Tam- Tamaqua, or were you in a different... That's exact, that, no, that's exactly where it was, like what you're looking at. Huh. Yeah, I went on their website, and they have a really cool map, which if you were able to check out the 
book that I put together and sent you and many people and many listeners of this show, in fact, have already picked up their own copy. So thank you to everybody who's done that. I really appreciate that. But what I found on the mycofest.net website is uh, like a cool map. And I just got to thinking, I'm like, oh, they must make these for all sorts of events. You know, that'd be a cool job to get to to create maps for people's events it's like a little like hand-drawn looking map of the location and there's like a river running through the event area well they make it look like a big river (laughs) so when i so when i saw that map you're absolutely right the map is fun and it's good uh, but then you see it where, it's, where, where, where the rubber beats the road is like when you see the map in the territory and mm. compare it to the territory. Right, right. So the scale, so I'm just letting you know, like the territory, the scale is a stream. It's beautiful. It, uh, I'm walking around there. So I, I, I'm there vending with, um, with uh, multiple rosters, okay? Like legit. This is this is my this is how I live my life, and within the the the, the Rasta, within the Rasta approach or under, uh, understanding is a very strong like biblical uh, narrative of understanding the events of what's unfolding in reality. Okay, when we're walking through this, I was like, this is the most biblical looking place I have ever seen. Just like the way the tents were. Like the way, like the, the quality of like the people, uh, the like where that stream is that you're looking at, it was just so. Um, it was it was very surreal to be walking through that. And yes, I would agree. I think that it would be uh, fun to make those maps for places, and I would imagine someone with your your skills, yet Mark, would probably do that very well. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm still really tripping out on how cool this place looks from at least from Google Earth. I mean, it seems like you're on one of the the mountains too. There's like those mountains. Yeah, we're we're up we're up in the mountains. Um, the amount of the, the, the amount, and I'll get you I'll get you a, a shot a picture of. Um, Ross's slide slides so that it's not just me describing something that. You and eyes on it. I just don't have access to it um, right now. Uh, but when I get back to my computer, I, I could turn it to you. Um, the, one of the things which was very, very, so, very, very evident to me when I was there. So there was, there was a mixture of people who I knew there. And there was like the majority of people I didn't know. And, and the people who I knew came from like different different avenues of my personal life. Like, I know this guy from this avenue, and I know these people from that avenue, and that people from that avenue. And so it was really neat for me to kind of see that convergence of different people. But then in addition to that, in addition to that, what I noticed very clearly is I kept on seeing other people, like when a, uh, a higher, a higher um, occurrence than just in regular life walking down the street, I saw people who um, reminded me and looked exactly, very, very similarly to other people in my life. I'm seeing an archetype, an archetypical match. Like I'm like, oh, I see that, and you're this person. 
and like I understand now how this fits into this other reality of my life. Like I'm I'm seeing that happen. I'm just kind of like, you know, this is all in my own mind. You know, I'm recognizing this. And my whole talk was all about like consciousness and time. I was very excited about introduce I was introducing a lot of new material there. Like the like so so I was really in a space of talking about like reality and consciousness and all these different things from some dark times. So to me, one of the most one of the the, the the most obvious demonstrations of this was on the very last day I was there. There's this guy who came up to me and he was like, I don't know if you do readings, but if you do readings, I just I just feel like you need to you need to give me a reading. Like, yeah, I just that. Um so he's like, yeah, we work out all those details. And it turned out to be um, uh, so the long and the short of it was this, uh, we get into this reading and there is a similarity in the story which I'm hearing about, like, you know, where this individual is looking for some degree of insight, guidance to my life. Like, I'm listening to this, and I'm like, oh, I know this story. I know this story, like, you can't even imagine, because I'm so close to what they're describing. Mm. And I'm, I, I kind of have this, this, like, you know, I'm laughing to myself, because I'm just literally, like, me talking to myself, like, you know, myself five years ago. Like, the, ta- like the, the unfolding event, like, it was like, this is exactly where I was five years ago. And so, what that reading ended up being, you know, the, the, the original question, I was like, listen, you don't want to ask, you don't want another person or cards or, or omens to tell you what to do. Like, this is a decision you are going to have to make. Like, you know, this is, that's what you need to do. You can't offload that responsibility. That's your responsibility. But, but that being said, let me go and, 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 and give you some feedback. And I was literally, giving, all I was saying was exactly what I would have told myself, you know, like five years ago, knowing what I learned. And I could see how this information was received. Like it was, it was like, as they say, right in the pocket. Like it was, it was a bullseye. And that is what that event was. Like, you know, that was probably the highlight for me in terms of understanding what the hell just happened. And this is just like the smallest of examples of, of whatever that thing was. Like, it was working at a level of reality in which, um, and integrated on that level of reality, but like, ley lines, geomancy, and archetypes, and, you know, different versions of self, like, all converge. And since I've come back, like, it's like, you know, that reintegration, like, people who have, like, literally just showed up on the part, like, you know, texts from people I haven't heard from from a very, very long time uh, on the car ride back to, um, you know, just the opposite, like, you know, just like people completely disappearing, so it was, it was a, a really, really, uh, it was a really, really thoughtful touch point in terms of the unfolding of this, you know, this 
apocalyptic. What do we call it? The handbook of 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 tr- moving through this this particular time frame. So, mm-hmm. so that was what you just shared with me with that book about the the landscape and the festivals. Like, was the 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 completion which I needed to hear for under, understanding what was just experienced. Well, that's beautiful. Yeah, and I mean the the synchronicity of it being named Stonehenge as we're talking about something, uh, you know, concepts that this author is referring to in the realm of actual Stonehenge over there in England and all the magic that was there and made its way over here and vice versa and everything in between. But yeah, this part of Pennsylvania is beautiful. Tamaqua. There's a place nearby named Jim Thorpe Pennsylvania. Have you ever been there? Uh, it's very close. I have not, but I'm familiar with it by reputation. It has quite the reputation. Huh. Interesting. What's the reputation? That it's um, beautiful and like really nice. <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to say something like you know, there's like something weird going on. Okay. Well, they call it the Switzerland of the Americas or something like that. So maybe that has something to do with it. But Right. Like it's a really special, uh, it's a really special sort of place. But I haven't actually walked the village and seen what it's like. No, I don't have that. I've always wanted to. That's something I mentioned because on my new podcast that I'm doing with my friend Roman, who you know, you've been on his show, Rising from the Ashes, and another gentleman who I've probably told you about. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but his name is Chad Stemke. He's written... I know who Chad. I've met him. Oh, excellent. Okay, cool. So Chad is our co-host along with Tara uh, and myself, and we interview anybody, listeners, people who reach out to us and say, hey, I've done some research on my local area, and I'd love to do an episode where it says Jim Thorpe, PA, because we title each episode uh, with the name of the place. I think I told you about this concept, but we've got five episodes recorded. Uh, Chad was just on Tinfoil Hat uh, this Monday, so we decided, okay, well, let's release it this week so when people hear Chad's interview on Tinfoil Hat, they can go and check out the show. So Esoteric America is off and running, and uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about all sorts of different towns, and we've already talked about five different towns two big cities, three places that I imagine maybe, oh, three big cities. I guess Charleston's a big city too. So we talked about Charleston. We talked about Nashville, Seattle. And what I realize is there's so much to talk about with a place like Seattle or Charleston or Nashville that we're going to have to do multiple episodes on those places. And then when we talked about a place like bought at Minnesota, we covered everything because it's just a nice little small town, but we also learned a lot about that area that I would have never even known, you know, just who learns about the most Northern part of Minnesota. So if you're not from that region, you know, it's pretty unique. So yeah, the show's going and I don't know, just that'd be cool to have someone uh, 
like Ross tell us all about Tamaqua or this alignment? Uh, I, I think that would be a, I think that would be a, a, a really good show. So I figured out the, the, the mystery, which or the confusion, which I was describing before about the Stonehenge and the Stonehenge. Okay. So this is what it is. It's known as um, the Columcile, so C-O-L-U-M-C-I-L-L-E, Megalith Park. And that is known as Pennsylvania, its nickname is Pennsylvania Stonehenge, because mm-hmm. it's a megalith park. But Stonehenge Gardens is something different. Huh. I wonder what that word "cullum" means because there's a uh... dub. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just got a a book in the mail um, from the publishers called "Witches, Druids, and Sin Eaters: The Common Magic of the Cunning Folk of the Welsh Marches." And there's a page in here that. It's called Column Teray, and it's, I guess it's a type of, it's an ancient grimoire of some kind, like a book about hmm. magic. So when you said Column Celis, uh, I was like, hmm, is that the same thing? So I, there's, there, the, the root of Column is, is really, you know, that, that definitely rich and steep within esotericism. Hmm. Um, but, where I tend to go with it, and I know it's not the only place, is that Cullum is like the same root as Columbia. Right. <laughs> and, and so that is of the dove goddess. And so the dove goddess is the name of like the original goddess from Sumer. Um, what is her name? Um, Semiramis, S-E-M-R... S-E-M-I-R-A-M-I-S, Semiramis, and she was the dove, the dove goddess. And then in all the different cultures, she was like Ishtar or Isis or like, you know, all of that is Columbia. Like, and so whenever I see that root, I kind of go back to that sort of goddess worship element mm-hmm. within, um, within the, the esoteric and ancient world, which undoubtedly connects to, um, you know, the, the Celtic, Definitely. I mean, that's where a lot of the research that I've been doing with Skull and Bones has led me uh, to become more familiar with that world of the occult. But uh, totally 360 degrees on the other side of the planet, I had a conversation with a guy named Peter Jenks who lives in Thailand. I think I told you about this because I interviewed him like a, a day the day before I left to come see you. And the episode was released yesterday, so check it out if you're interested in, in the Thailand world of occult. It's very interesting. Hmm. It definitely sounds so. Yeah. Well, all right, Mike, we got a lot on the table today. Talked about a lot. It's really beautiful experience at Myco Fest. I'm really... A little astounded to to find out um, this stuff, and I'm excited to see you and Ross do another episode of From the Fortieth Parallel, and maybe well, talk I, about this kind of stuff uh, that I, Ross I, mentioned. Well, I think that's exactly what um, I mean. What we're gonna we're gonna do. He and I haven't recorded for a while, and um, 
I'm pretty certain we talked about this a little bit last time, but um, this 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 event, um, like I can only this this event, the timing of Michael Fassman's was interesting and personal for for everyone who was there in my world because. Um, I was originally invited to present after the guy who's behind it, uh, Will Padilla Brown. He saw the um, some of the the image in the comments as it relates to the Pittsburgh events, which me, Ross, Cooper, and John did. Mm. And so it was from that that Will that that I came into the fold. And then from there, I was like, well, can I extend invitations to like Ross and, and then Ross Nayeen and Cooper and John to come to then they're all, you know, they're, they're uh, for lack of a better word, like, you know, they're professional vendors, they you know, going to a festival and selling uh, different things is, is what they do. So it was, it made perfect sense. So we set up, um, so who was going to be there was like all of the Pittsburgh crew was there. Um, three weeks before the three weeks before um, before Microfest, uh, Ross found out that his you know his oldest son his oldest son transitioned his oldest son died, and um, you know as you can imagine what that does to a person, and so. Microfest turned out to be a um, you know, the, uh, a very well needed um, distancing, you know, from from like the last three weeks. Like it allowed it allowed. Um, I'm not going to speak for Rock because I'm kind of like being thoughtful for my words, but but it allowed allowed like you know uh, an opportunity to step out of that last three weeks must have been like in his household. And he was there with us, like, you know, the people who kind of like started with all those, like this full circle of really, really personal connections which were happening there. Um, and that was added into it. You know, I know, and as you're aware of like what we've been talking about since January, like the way my life has, has transitioned and changed over the past, uh, six months for me, like there, all of this was kind of tied into this. This, um, like it almost, it almost felt like in a lot of ways. Like when I'm watching his presentation, like it kind of had uh, a feel um, in terms of the reveal I gave at that Masonic presentation. Like I'm like, hey, guess what's going on here? Because he, like, everyone's, like, watching it. They just knew that he was giving a presentation. He talked about all these ley lines and stuff. And you go, and by the way, guess where we're located right now? <laughs> and so there was something, like, you know, so deep, like, deeply personal, but then right. archetypically true. Like, like, grief is grief is grief. That's a human element. And as we move through a collapse of one world and the, 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 the birth of what is to come. I mean, that's the definition of, of apocalypse is, you know, the, 
uh, I guess it's revealing, but it's like the end of one age and the birth of another. And like the end of one age has to come with with grief, like, you know, um, and sort of, I think everyone alive is experiencing that one way or, or the other. But to see that so, so naturally, you know, like unplanned, but perfectly orchestrated how everything is unfolded there. Um, those are really, really, uh, it was a really significant um, event on that level. Hmm. Powerful. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you shared that. I'm glad, you know, this is... Uh, coming together and I'm also glad that nobody jokingly said they would chop Ross's head off when he gave the presentation <laughs> uh, yeah yeah I wouldn't have gone over well but yeah uh, no no not at all not at all it was um, it was it was it was a special time right well that's really cool I'm uh, a little sad I wasn't able to join you there but that's part of what we talked about on the phone is maybe working out a way for the podcast to fit into this world of festivals and and outdoor events and I used to work at farmers markets so I've done the set up a tent set up your tables and I used to bark and have people from the whole farmers market all the way down they all knew who I was I was a loud bread salesman guy and I was always giving away bread. And my favorite thing about working at the farmer's market, obviously it all turned sour when the pandemic happened, but my favorite thing about working there was the um, sharing and bartering aspect between the vendors. And uh, it was just really beautiful, you know, because we would bring bread to this bakery and and obviously with bread you have leftovers and the shelf life isn't long so you don't bring that back home with you and sell it again you know especially the sunday market you know it's not going anywhere and they were baking every day so i would share it with as many people as i could and do trades at the end of the market and i would bring home an abundance of vegetables and jams and all sorts of different things that you wouldn't imagine i used to get this chocolate avocado pudding and it was it was a great time so i would love to be a part of that atmosphere again in some way Uh, i know there's a sort of darker side of course to that which we talked about too that maybe we can bring some uh, light and shine some light into it and and change the the balance around i was actually just talking to a guy and stop me if we have to wrap up i don't know how much time you have but um, I was just talking to a guy named George Wiseman. Are you familiar with George Wiseman? I am not. So he's been interviewed on several shows that you have also been interviewed on. And he is an inventor. Um, and he's invented several different applications for this device uh, or for this really just form of hydrogen called Brown's gas. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. So your body is made of 62% hydrogen. Everything that you eat from the natural world is a hydrocarbon, essentially. But the, the cells in our gut, the bacteria in our gut, 
have been depleted over the years of exposure to antibiotics. So for the most part, people are hydrogen deficient because we don't have the right microbiome to accept the hydrogen that's in our food. And also, a lot of the food is depleted of hydrogen because of the way it's grown, uh, grown improperly. So long story short, sales pitch aside, um, I'm really blessed having the show that I have because George offered to send me an AquaCure device, which essentially makes this hydrogenated water um, that you can drink and it has a lot of health benefits. I mean, the guy told me that his nearsightedness was reversed and he no longer needs glasses. Uh, a lot of other health benefits. So, my, Have you gotten the device? Well, it's being sent to me, but my point is how neat would it be if I could use this device in a way where I share that hydrogen water with people, sell it to people at a price that, you know, maybe someone can't afford to go and, and buy the AquaCure device. I certainly couldn't at $2,500. Um, so He's sending you a $2,500 device? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he offered before he even spoke to me. And I think after he spoke to me, felt even better about sending it to me. Uh, but yeah, he offered it just based on the fact that he knows that if I have one and I have a podcast, he's most likely going to sell enough to make his money back, right? I, I, that's his business model, and he's really not even interested in making a profit. He's doing this for the fact that it's such a a miraculous healing device. He hasn't patented his own inventions because he believes in open source and free, you know, free technology. And he wants this thing to be out there so much that if they try to suppress it, they can't. So I got to thinking after. So is it in the mail? Because I can't wait to hear what your results are. Yeah, it's in the mail. I haven't got received it yet. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. Because obviously I'm going to try it. I'm going to see if my grandmother's willing to try it and see if it helps her out because she hasn't been doing too well lately. And um, and then, yeah, if, if, she, if she likes it and she has a good review, I mean, dude, that would be, that would just make my whole year if I could help her. So I'm excited about it. I'm very excited about it. And then the thought of sharing that with other people, you're traveling around, you know, I could I could sell hydrogen just like I used to sell bread. Uh, that is absolutely correct. And uh, that and I also want to comment upon the sentiment which you just naturally shared. You said it would make your year if that could help your grandmother just a little bit. Absolutely. And that is not everyone is so thoughtful of their elders. And that is a beautiful thing, Mark, a rare thing and a beautiful thing, but it should be like the, the basis of all of our, um, for all of humanity. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's the least I could do, <laughs> but it's the least you could do. It's a fantastic thing. I didn't mean to sound like a, a salesman, but it, it's, I put the interview out the day, I recorded it, so I, I rarely do that because I, you know, don't often feel so moved about a particular topic. But yeah, George is a really brilliant guy. So 
I can't wait to hear. So you keep me abreast. Right on. All right, Mike. Well, this has been a, a great episode. What, what what do you got going on? Anything you want to share with the audience that they should know? Things that are in store? Ways that they can support? Things like that? Uh, I don't have anything off the top of my head. Uh, um, I'm putting together all the starboard and the engagement books right now. I just ordered 10 starboards. Uh, I haven't really begun to actively sell them, but I've gotten lots of interest. Hmm. So if you're listening to this show and you're interested in one of the starboards, uh, price points around $300. It comes with a whole bunch of stuff. We're ahead of the curve, but for those who are interested in what it is, you send me an email and we can talk about it hmm. and see if it's something, uh, uh, something that you want. Because I don't know what my, when I'm going to order the next one after these 10, and I don't know how fast they're going to sell. Well, I'm going to share the picture from your Instagram of the starboard, uh, if it's still up, um, as the artwork for this episode. So everybody listening, just look on your podcast app and you can see the starboard yourself. And if you haven't received a starboard reading from Mike before, it's a really, really awesome, unique way to connect with the greater reality. I mean, Mike, I'm sure can say it way better than that, but, uh, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't even give them anymore. <laughs> well, you gave a reading at my confest. I, uh, no, I just, I didn't give a starboard reading. Oh, okay. So you give readings. So if someone knows how to give, it's a way, uh, giving readings is the ability to find mm. like i mean there's an old adage of like you know if someone knows how to see they can have the story of the universe in a grain of sand like there's this idea of like if you know how to see it, you know how to give a reading you know how to how to craft story um you can give someone something of meaning and value in anything now what you tie it to um like, you know, that gives a flavor of the story. So the story which you tell from a starboard or from the sky, you know, that's, that's one type of story. And it's really neat because it's tied to, like, you know, your relationship to, to this realm and being born. But, like, uh, I, I, I was just giving stone readings. I was giving stone readings and card readings. I people pick stones and put them around. And then just, like, how, how I know to read those is just how it comes out. Like, I told you, like, the people I gave a reading to, all I'm thinking about in my mind is I'm talking to myself. By who, I'm talking to who I was five years ago. Mm, right. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's. On one hand, it's the most mystical thing in the world in the fact that everything is that of a mystery. But then on the other hand, like all of the readings are the most natural thing in the world, particularly for someone who knows how to do that. So uh, when you were talking about the starboard reading, what I gave you, like I don't that uh, that window is kind of closed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, that's like uh I'm I'm honored. I was just thinking as you were describing it, like, well maybe Mike just doesn't want to take the starboard around with him. Maybe you create a collapsible starboard that uh you could like pull out of a bag and put together. Yeah. Like inspector gadget. Anyways. <laughs> that's enough for your handbook for the apocalypse. This is episode 40. I hope there's another episode uh, of from the 40th parallel out soon. 
We've all been waiting for that. Forty. This is episode yeah. forty of Your Handbook for the Apocalypse, and uh, it was a fantastic time talking to you as always, Mike. And thank you to everyone who's tuning in. Share the show with your friends and give us a review on Apple. We've never asked listeners to do that, but that would help new people find the show. So do that if you want to support us. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. <laughs>